Welcome to Future Insiders Podcast, a podcast about the future of tech, business, and humanity. I am your host, Kathy Hackle. In today's episode, I talk to Ian Forrester, Firestarter at the BBC. everyone so i am joined by my friend ian forrester he is a fire starter for bbc's r&d department or area or i don't know what to call it um but tell folks a little bit about who you are ian and what a fire starter is because i mean i when i met you i was like that is the coolest title ever <laughs> yeah it's it's okay so it's thank you very much kathy this is this is this is excellent i'm <laughs> glad to be on this so yeah, BBC. BBC is a you know, media company um, based out of the UK, and you know it's a broadcaster. A lot of people are like, "Well, why would you? Why would the broadcaster need an R and D department?" And actually, the R and D R and D department's been there for a long, long time. So we've been around almost a hundred years. So we imagine that's what radio was around, and so there was a lot of researchers looking at this newfangled technology called television and in the same way yeah there's newfangled technology called the internet and the newfound technology whatever else is next so there's always people in r d department who are researching the future what is you know what's what opportunities there are uh what things to avoid stuff like that yeah. And you and I met, I think it was two years ago, we were both keynoting an event in Belgium with Casey Neistat, which was kind of cool. Um, but we said, you know, during one of the dinners, you and I got to talking and it was just the really interesting stuff that you were doing on the, the future. I remember it was like the future of the living room or something like that. The future of the home. That was like two years ago. But maybe talk a little bit about some of the projects you've been working on. Yeah, go for it. So, um, OK, so this is it's interesting because um, yeah, the, the it was called the living room of the future. And the living room of the future. The living room of the go. future. And what was what's interesting is that the living room of the future is a combination of so many different things. So one of the things that I've been researching for a while is the future of storytelling, and the future of storytelling um, kind of goes spans back to oral storytelling. And for the longest time, yeah, we we used to tell stories to each other uh, orally, and then we invented the the printing press and we could print stories and we could tell stories to the world you know and then broadcasts came along and we could tell stories to the world yeah all at the same time stuff like that and we, the internet's come along and we're like oh let's do the same as what we do with broadcast no i think actually there's a better way and i think it spans back to oral storytelling so there's this kind of liveness to this there's a the, the adaptability the immersion that kind of comes with being able to tell a story that wraps around a person is so powerful and so ultimately the living room in the future is an actual living room it's a it's a very small living room um and it's got a big screen but all of the devices in the room, so we have a lot of IoT devices, a lot of the devices that you probably have in your house are all talking to each other because they're all on the same wireless network. So with, uh, yeah, with an actual script, then they can all act and be part of the, the experience. So rather than strap on uh, a visor and a bunch of stuff, you know, all the stuff around you is acting and being part of everything that that ties up with the with the tv and the sound 
I love that. And I love that you bring it back to storytelling. So do you like, what is your career path? Like, did you, did you come from storytelling? Do you come from a tech background? I, I, I don't think we've ever talked about that. <laughs> no, uh, my background is very, very. <laughs> uh, so my background, I guess, would, I would say it comes from design, actually. So I've always applied the kind of a design methodology to a lot of things. I did, one of the things that I found really interesting is that um, I started doing graph design and there's a this great story that I have where, well, I think it's great, um, where I was showing the tutor um, what a website was, because I had designed one. And this is in like 1996. Wow. And she kept on saying to me, print it out print it out i said no 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 you don't I said, it's a website you you don't print it out you 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 use the links to go places and she was just like no no it's built with a computer you print stuff out from a computer and i think that was the point where i realized that i probably have a little bit more technical um interest than than most people and i took that upon myself to to learn not to code so much but i could learn different languages and that helped me massively so i combined design and technology so if you talk to engineers i can you know i understand what they're saying understand what they're you know what everything's you know what what they mean but also i apply a design methodology to everything and i guess from that um i started working as design startup and decided it wasn't for me this is about the dot bomb era mm -hmm. and ultimately i kind of start teaching um university level and then move myself well move away into the bbc pretty much awesome and how long how long have you been with the bbc already <laughs> this is quite scary people are gonna gonna freak out when they hear this uh i it's 16 years who does that I, uh, anymore who does that everyone says i know exactly it's like i mean I, and i care because i think yeah, when I first started, I started in the World Service, which a lot of people probably are very aware of. Um, and it was great. It was great. I did a lot of work for them. But then I kind of found a new project called BBC Backstage, uh, which is developer network for the BBC. Um, it's funny to be a designer running a developer network. Um, but it's that interest in design and that kind of understanding of, of the technical side of this all. And then they became it became very clear that as a developer network, it didn't really fit with the rest of the BBC. So they kind of pushed that into R&D. So I got absorbed into R&D, which is a lot more academic, but, um, but it's also, it always fascinates me because you're always on the cutting edge. And that's why I've been here 16 years because I'm always learning. I'm never doing the same thing, which is, which is for me exciting, you know? Well, I love the title, Firestarter. It's like, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Oh yeah, I didn't explain where Firestarter came from. Yeah, yeah, tell, uh, tell us so, more about, because I, I was like, that's just a great title, like in general. So, so the BBC has, um, you know, uses kind of very boring titles for people. So stuff like, <laughs> so my official, if you if you ask me uh, officially, my title is producer or senior producer. And it doesn't sum up what I do. And so a lot of people were pushing back saying, this doesn't, an uh, engineer doesn't really explain what I do. And so they said, look, you know what? Make up your own titles um, and and that could be your title. And so I said, look, you know what? I'm going to be a fire starter. And 
there was some pushback, but it stuck. And I love it. I love it. There's actually a book, which I was, it's in the other room, but I was going to get. There's actually a book of about fire starters, and there's a whole bunch of fire starters. And I think it, the whole thing about fire starters is that it sums up the people who are there at the beginning, who are stoking the fire, making it grow. And once it's going, they go off, they leave them, and they let people just kind of crowd round and enjoy themselves and goes off and makes the other fire. And that that pretty much sums up what I do. Oh, my gosh. That's, yeah, dream job. Dream job once again. <laughs> um, what are some of the cool things that you're interested in? Like, what are you looking at right now, the future of X? Um, tell me more. I mean, because obviously that's where your mind goes. Yeah. So I, I guess the, the, the kind of two big things are the, yeah, the future of storytelling, which I talked about a little bit before, um, but also I'm really interested, and this is going to be an interesting one to, to, to talk with you, is what is public service in the age of the internet? You know, what what is it? How does it fit? You know, where does it work? You know, those kind of things. Now, I, I imagine a lot of the listeners will be kind of going, well, you know, never really thought about that, never really considered that. But um, at least especially in, in Europe and other parts of the world, public service is still a really big thing. So the BBC is a big entity and we're publicly funded. And right now, if you compare the BBC and the, what it does up against some of the big corporates, big tech corporates, then actually... You know, completely—it's like night and day. Well, one's you know, one's making money from maybe your attention, or from adverts, or from whatever else. Where the BBC is kind of you know, you're you're paying money to almost like a tax um, that benefits everybody, and that's a very different methodology. Yeah. But as the internet grows, we're going much more towards this kind of. Um, you know, this kind of thing where it's about advertising and attention and uh, popularity, and that doesn't work for for um, public service. So my example I tend to use, which is probably not a very good example, um, is the library. So people compare the library to, um, to other places like Netflix or, or other um, places like that. And, well, you know, the library... It hasn't never going to have the the stock or the range, you know, of of these other um, companies or these other systems. However, there's something about a library which is really important, and that is, there's there's experts that are there who can help you, who can guide you. And yes, you can say there's a, you can have an algorithm that does that. But there's something that we've noticed about libraries, especially in the UK, people tend to use libraries because they're quiet places um people tend to use libraries to fill in um kind of heavy documents like driving licenses um tax forms stuff like that because they know that they won't be bothered but also they can reach out to someone and someone can point them in the right direction so uh, you're starting to see that now there's no way you can put a price on that or someone might try and do that but it's it's kind of like a different way of looking at the world um and part of that that view is looking at it from a human point of view so we we have this um framework which we're um we've been working on called human values which is about putting 
the what the you know, what you actually value at the center of everything and then that is the that is the um the metric for um how a service is um you know what service benefits or what sorry what the service will provide you and um and how it should be measured so if you look at for example that library example it's about that quiet space it's that kind of that breadth of knowledge that's available to you it's about those kind of things which are very hard to measure because generally we measure by by how many people get into it how many people how much money gets made yeah. and stuff like that and so it's like the these alternative metrics so, so do you see with the current pandemic you know that globally that we're all experiencing this this concept of human value uh human values and, and this framework that you're speaking of do you see that accelerating maybe we're getting back to something that we lost in some ways yeah i i i think so i'd like to think so um mm -hmm. i do it was interesting because um at least in the uk there was this whole thing where it was like save the nhs so the national healthcare system you know don't don't let it get to so overcrowded or so busy that it can't cope that was the most important thing um and a lot of people really understood that they didn't want to to like overload it um and then the government said oh actually we really need to restart the economy so we need people to go out and do stuff and you know and there's so there's a there's this thing where do you put out and i, and I see this you know, from what I read about in, in what's happened in America and elsewhere is, um, you know, there's this balance of like, do you, who do you let out and how do you, you know, in what, in what way, but not overload the healthcare systems, you yeah. know, because you actually, you're, you know, we've got to remember that people are dying. It's not yeah. just, a, oh, they'll get ill and then they'll be fine. It's actually people are dying. And so there's yeah. a, there's a, we got to have this idea where, the human is center to this. And that also applies to many other things. It isn't just about healthcare. It's about, you know, for example, what is my, what is, what am I actually seeking, you know, uh, when I go to the library? Am I seeking just to get a book or am I actually seeking more? Am I trying to get knowledge? Why am I getting knowledge? It's knowledge because I want to improve my life, improve my career, stuff like that. And it's that it's getting to the nub of that, and that's I guess is quite hard to do, and especially with the metrics we currently have, um, it's almost impossible to get to. Yeah, I mean that's incredibly interesting. I, it's interesting that you bring the bring up the future of the library uh, for a reason. So I, when I was at Magic Leap, I worked on a really interesting project, um, and I got to interview some folks down at the University of South Florida, and we talked about how the future of the library moving away, let's say from, from the, 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 the human concept there, but the future of the library could be seen in some way as the repository of 3D images in 3D history in mm. the future. Like that is where we're gonna go to try to find some of these, you know, 3D scans of, 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 the, of the past, you know, things that might get destroyed because of climate change or, you know, whatever. So, so it's interesting that you talk about that because what are we, what are we gonna go to the library for? What do we go for now? And what are we going to go for there in the future? Um, and, and this brings up another point that you you talked about the human values and design and human centered design. I mean, mm. that is so. I wish they taught that at school. 
to be honest. Like I wish that was something that kids learned in, in middle school or something. But um, but yeah, what are what are some of some of your thoughts on, on what I just mentioned? Yeah, no, I think I think um it's it's I see it again and again. I see it in different ways. So for example, um I don't know if you come across a guy called Douglas Rushkoff. Um mm -hmm. he talks a lot about um Oh, and I forgot the name of it. Oh, Team Human. That's right. Team Human. Uh, yeah, and exactly. And it's like, but I, you know, I see this again and again where people are, are emphasizing the importance of of humans, you know, um, and and we don't really have a metric to express, you know, the the value to humans. You know, we know the value to to different things, but we don't seem to know the value to humans. Or we we put we place upon humans this fake metric of, for example, likes. You know, the yeah. more the more happier you are. Everyone knows that's a total lie. You know, and um, you can convince yourself for a certain amount of poor time, but actually, we know the amount of times that people are, um, you know, when they turn off their screens, they're kind of like. You know, very sad, or you know, are facing um, you know, the mental health problems of of the kind of like that that wanting to get more and more likes, you know, yeah. and so this is this is so important, so so important. I think the human centric design um, is so important as well. Um, I actually am about to do, I think, two months time, a talk about this. Um, not from but I'm not focusing on the actual design part. I'm focusing more on the the overall arching thing. You know, the like the what's like a service designer. I'm looking at the whole thing. So for example, in the BBC we have a project called um, the BBC Box. And the BBC Box is a box which it doesn't necessarily store your data but it gives you access to your data and it allows you control over what data gets used, how it gets used, when it gets used and stuff like that. Um, it's actually part of uh, what we're currently using Tim Berners-Lee's solid mm -hmm. project. Um, and this is the kind of thing we're trying to, what happens when we empower the user or power, I hate, I hate that word user, but empower the person to be yeah. actually you know, a citizen in their life, you know, a citizen um, that can make decisions rather than just kind of go with whatever's given to them. Yeah, that's so fascinating. So, so we're, uh, Ian, like, I, I think we could talk for hours, but <laughs> we're getting, <laughs> yeah, we're sorry. Talking, yeah, seriously, I wish this podcast lasts longer. Um, but, you know, we're getting towards the end. And one of the things I always ask my guests is, what are you excited about? What is some technology or something you've seen out there that you're just really excited about that you want to explore more? Like, what are you? Yeah, what are you stoked about right now? Okay, so can I can I take a slightly different uh, bit on this? So can I can I suggest that um, I'm excited by the, the 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 changes in intersectional diversity and inclusion? Um, I know that for the longest time you know uh, triggered by the events in in um, america um that the notion of of racism and stuff like that a lot of us know this we know this we live this this is our lives but i so i drove around so um in the area i live in manchester in the area that i'm in 
it's predominantly um, a white uh, a white area, and I saw so many protesters who were white. Um, I saw so many people who, not on a few days after, but were weeks after protesting in their area, and I feel like the technology has come along so far and so quickly that you know those the, the protests that would normally be aired on like TV and then kind of like it would be like a snapshot of like you know protesters and that would be it. But to see this stuff all over, uh, not just social media, but on people's channels and people's uh, YouTube channels and stuff like that, I think it's quite powerful and quite humbling to see that kind of technology being used. I mean, the, the amount of times people have said the reason why we see these killings now is because of everyone's got a smartphone. So I don't think it's the technology that's new, but it's the way that it's being used. And I think that's powerful. And that that really brings me some hope. Yeah, that's it's incredibly powerful. I agree. I agree with you. And um, what would you, you know, what would you recommend to other folks out there that kind of heard heard this podcast and they're like, oh, I'm a fire starter as well. Like <laughs> I, maybe they never they never heard the word or they didn't know that was the term, but what are you what what do you recommend? Like what what can they do to to further their fire starting? Okay, so I would suggest that you know always go with not not always, but go with your gut. You know, if it doesn't feel right, then it's probably not right. You know, the nice thing about this era is that we're now in an era where actually, you know with the right information you can make the right decisions you know so for example being able to reach out to people you know very easy so you know the amount of times you know in the past we'd have to you have to go through a little hierarchies to try and get to the right person now i can just go on twitter search for them and just kind of like message them and just say hey um you know kathy I saw that stuff that you're doing. Um, I'm really interested in in knowing more about XR. You know, and I can just reach out to you. It's, there's still some work, but it's that 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 ability just about to reach out is so important. And I think if anyone wants to be a firestarter or who wants to who likes what I've been saying, you know, reach out. Just reach out. I'm Cubic Garden on everything pretty much. And I think that is powerful i think the, the 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 one thing that people don't tend to do is they kind of fall back into oh i don't know if i should reach out do it you know what have you got to lose what do you have to lose i agree awesome man it was wonderful having you in future insiders thanks for being here thank you very much Thank you for listening to this episode of the Future Insiders podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and I'll see you in our next episode.